Well, welcome everyone. We've got a great guest today. We've got Stan Gordon. Uh, he's the author of four books. I'm familiar with Silent Invasion, the Bigfoot UFO casebook, a fascinating book. It's one of my favorites on this subject of uh, casebook of Bigfoot UFO casebook of Pennsylvania sightings from the early 70s. And his most recent book is uh, Creepy Cryptids. And Stan uh, gave a great presentation to our Bigfoot Cryptid Zoom group a couple of weeks ago. And I just wanted to get him back so we could share with you, the, the YouTube audience, some of the stuff that he's been doing. Uh, Stan has been in this longer than I would say almost any of us at this point. So, Stan, welcome today, and thanks, oh, thanks for, for having us. me on, Simeon. Yeah, you know, I was really impressed when we spoke last time that you've been involved in these subjects area since 1959. Is that correct? That is correct. I started as a ten-year-old child interested in science and electronics and shortwave radio, and whatever, and. Uh, I just happened to hear a radio show one evening talking about strange happenings from, oh, flying saucers and ghosts and yeah. unusual things. And I was curious. I wanted to know if these people were telling the truth and making the stories up. So I went to our local library here in Greensburg, PA, and began to read all the books. And that's when it all started for me. And I was 16 years old in 1965 when the incident happened near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Right. I started documenting that case as it broke on the news that day. And I've been out in the field ever since. Yeah, you know, it, it occurred to me, Stan, when when I heard you talk at the very first UFO crash conference hosted by the Woods in Las Vegas, your talk, actually, it was not about Bigfoot UFO connection. It was about Kecksburgs, right? That was the first time I'd ever heard about it. Yeah, well, I've been involved with it ever since the time it occurred, and uh, it's a long, long, involved, interesting case, whatever it was it fell. And yes. I tracked down hundreds of people over the years who were involved in it. And it's regardless of what it was, it's a very, very intriguing case. Yeah, yeah. I'm, st I'm still thinking about it all these years later. Um, yeah, that, that presentation made quite an impression on me. I hadn't heard about it, you know, before that conference. And uh, it's a fascinating case. Did you mention last time that you got involved? There was a group, was it at Westinghouse in Pittsburgh? of guys well, actually, interested in this subject? What was it? Actually, you, what was the group that you got in that you got invited to of engineers in Pittsburgh? Was it, uh, was it Westinghouse? I, you said Stan Friedman was one of those people. Well, actually what it was, it, it was a, it was a small research group. It was called the UFO research Institute. And it was a small group of researchers and included in those were some were some Westinghouse scientists and engineers. I wasn't a part of Westinghouse. These were just people who were employed yeah. there at the time, and they were professionals, right. and there were other professionals in the group. And yeah. it was a volunteer group, and I was the young kid in the group, but I already had a lot of experience interviewing people. I'd been doing it for years before that. So I uh -huh. became their telephone sighting coordinator. So when a call would come uh -huh. in, I would do the initial yeah. interviews. I see. So that's how you got your experience originally. You were the guy that fielded the calls that would come into the group. Uh, yeah, that's how it was. I was already investigating cases along before that. And then yeah. I stayed with them. So they shut down our operation in 1969. 
for and it. I be, and I set up a hotline for the public to report UFO sightings. And as yeah. the calls were coming into my home, I was overwhelmed. And that's when I set up my first of three volunteer research groups of all kind of research specialists that for years mm-hmm. would investigate phenomena across Pennsylvania. Right, right. And the calls have never stopped, I gather. That is correct. It, it is amazing. My phone has been ringing literally <laughs> since That's 1969 it. all the time. It's been ringing a lot in the last few weeks. And between that and email reports now, it's like I deal with these cases almost every day of current and past cases. That's incredible. Since 1969, I was only six years old then. To imagine you've been studying this the entire time since I was six. I mean, to me, that's amazing, Stan, and continuously, um, because I'll just tell you why. We don't often hear about this, you know, as all of our audience knows, in ordinary media sources, right? And we've heard about you recently and those who've read your books, and I recommend that everyone uh, read your books. They're uh, really kind of unique in a unique angle on capturing the intersection of these phenomena. But I mean, it's just amazing. This has been going on and on. We hear about waves, but for, for you, does it come in waves, these calls, or are they? do they come in all the time? Uh, well, they come in all year round Yeah, under all type of weather conditions, anytime, day or night. Yeah. Um, something you might find of interest in me, and I may have told you this, in, in going on 64 uh, years of research, I have never personally seen a Bigfoot or a UFO myself. Yeah. I've interviewed thousands right. of witnesses. I've seen a lot of evidence. But anyhow, uh, yeah, over the of course, we had that major wave in 1973, which was the biggest yeah. UFO Bigfoot outbreak in history anywhere here in Pennsylvania. Right. And right. it was very lucky that I had my, my first research group pretty well set up, because by 1973, we were covering the state of Pennsylvania. And, and the group mm-hmm. was unique in that. Those, we had scientists and engineers and police officers and former military specialists, and we all volunteered this around our full-time jobs to investigate yeah. cases, and we were just jammed. So we were lucky we were set up. And then in the summer of 73 is when we had that massive Bigfoot outbreak, and yeah. that's when as all the investigations are going on, and my opinion at the time about Bigfoot was, because I had been investigating Bigfoot sightings in Pennsylvania since the 1960s, I was of the opinion it was some type of unknown primate until right. all these unusual incidents start coming in 1973 from widespread areas. And of course there were no cell phones. There was no internet like today. People had no way of knowing whether people were reporting. A lot of the calls yep. were initially coming into the police departments and they were often referring the cases to my group to investigate. And that's when we had those very interesting case with UFOs and Bigfoot seen together. And we began to realize we're dealing with something much stranger. And ever since then, these cases continue to occur. I've learned more and more about the phenomenon about Bigfoot and a lot of strange aspects of Bigfoot that a lot of people don't know about or, or refuse to want to discuss. But now it's going on more and more all over the country. And I wrote about this back in the 70s, and now yeah. all over the country you're hearing similar reports coming in from many areas. Yeah, now that's a really important point, Stan, because we still hear from many researchers that this is just some rare primate. Uh, and I mean, this is something I started hearing in the 90s, and I, I, I think I, I probably believed it for a while. But your experience, even going back to the early 70s, showed you that there was just more going on, that this did not fit the profile of uh, an escaped gorilla or a primate of any 
sort, even a rare one, you know, a, a rare sort of primate from prehistory just didn't fit that pattern? Well, a lot of things showed up just didn't make any sense. First of all, and something that's ongoing, I mean, even mm-hmm. in recent weeks and months in Pennsylvania, and I, I know yes. this goes on other areas too, is that many of the Bigfoot sightings we receive here are not nocturnal reports at a distance away. Many mm-hmm. are very close range in daylight. So we have right. multitudes. I mean, I've interviewed hundreds of people myself who have seen these things, including a number of them in recent weeks. But one of the first things that really caught our attention is back in 73, as all these reports are coming in, we, we would be on the scene sometimes within minutes or hours after they occurred. So this is mm-hmm. all year-round, including in the snow. And we get out to some of these locations, there'd be trails of these large, unusual footprints with large mm-hmm. strides between them, even in snow, that would go a distance and then just abruptly stop when there should have mm-hmm. been more traffic. And there was no way you could have fabricated that. That's continued right. to occur for years in Pennsylvania and all over the country were getting the same report. So that was the one thing. But then a lot of things showed up with Bigfoot and UFOs. And one case was really interesting was in September of 73, north of Pittsburgh, we had two witnesses out in the country waiting for a friend to pick them up when they see the seven, eight foot tall Bigfoot with white hair running yep. across the road toward the woods but in one of its hands, it's carrying a glowing ball of light. And a short yes. time later, this object came across the sky and projected a beam light, a beam of light down into the woods where the creature ran into. That's just mm-hmm. an example of some of the cases we had. Yeah, you have a lot of cases like that in Silent Invasion. And, uh, you know, re- reading it recently, uh, you're just struck by how you have all these luminous phenomena around the Bigfoot. It, it's almost it's almost really hard to make sense of it, right? I, I, I can't, at least, what the connection is between these UFOs and Bigfoot. And I think part of it is our own bias where we're still thinking this is some, because this is what people say to me, Stan, why would something primitive like an ancient primate have anything to do with something that's really advanced, like an extraterrestrial civilization? visiting the earth but i think if we stop thinking about it as just a primate and some sort of other entity that has a lot of capabilities that we barely understand you can start to see that they they could operate in the same frequency same wavelength something like that whatever we're dealing with Simeon, is so beyond our understanding so beyond our present scientific research nobody can understand it while i see similarities and patterns to it a lot of it makes absolutely no sense why it's going yes. on, the whole yes. thing. And, and again, I talked to other researchers, I talked to so many witnesses, and they just know we can figure out what, what these things are. And it's not just a Bigfoot phenomenon. I found similarities right. with other cryptids and out-of-place animals, such as Black Panther sightings here in Pennsylvania, that have some similarities to some of the very strange reports we're hearing from witnesses with Bigfoot. You know... Again, I, many reports come in, including one just a few days ago, where yeah. people were seeing what appeared to be a large, solid, huge, hair-covered creature. But some of them are smaller. Some are around four to five feet tall. Most of them in Pennsylvania are around six to nine feet tall. And in most mm. cases, they look like solid creatures. But they, yeah. we have other instances where people just can't believe what they saw. That They tell me they're riding down the road when suddenly this huge creature suddenly appears in front of their vehicle it walks in front of their vehicle, they see it from head to toe, and it's gone. 
Yeah. And then we have other cases where sometimes part of the body is in focus, other times it is not. Or you can see through parts of the body. These are the kind of things you rarely ever hear about. Um, yeah. Again, yeah. not the weird footprints, but electromagnetic effects. You know, back in the uh, 50s or 60s, you used to hear a lot of low-level UFO reports where these objects would hover over vehicles, and sometimes they're near vehicles, and the headlights would dim, the motor would start to sputter, and when the object took off, the uh, tower came back, or the headlights got brighter. We have similar case with Bigfoot, which is very rarely ever discussed. It's been reported across the country, but it's very rarely discussed. But we yes. have incidents where a Bigfoot walked out near a vehicle. When it was close by, the engine began to sputter, the creature walked off, and the power came back on. That's just an example of some of the phenomena I'm dealing with all the time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when So just before we get to some of these recent cases, which I'm sure oh, I'd love to hear about, and sure our YouTube audience would love to hear about, this idea of the tracks ending on the Bigfoot, like in the middle of snow, you know, as Jonathan Dover, the Navajo tracker from Arizona said, he said the, the tracks disappear in trackable ground, in muddy ground. It should continue. He said it was like something lifted them up into the sky. They just vanish. Yeah. When did you first, exp I mean, so we've heard about that recently from people like Jonathan Dover and their other, when, when was the first time you encountered that? That would be in the early 1970s and 73 early during that 70s. major wave when we were getting so many reports coming in. And I remember one case in particular, you know, as I've said many times on interviews, so many of the witnesses, whether it's a Bigfoot or a close-range UFO or cryptid, so many of the witnesses would never have been convinced that these creatures were real or these objects are real until they had their own personal experience. Yeah. And when some of these people have had, I mean, were within feed these creatures, I mean, a lot of experienced hunters and outdoorsmen I've interviewed, you know, police officers have reported them, it, they never could have been, they never would have believed it until they saw it. They could right. never have been convinced from other people's reports. And people's lives have been changed for years over these type of cases. And mm -hmm. there was one fellow, I don't normally use names, but this man gave me permission. He was a witness. Mm -hmm. He's passed away. But actually, after it happened, he went on TV and radio in 73 because this guy was a complete non-believer. He was laughing mm -hmm. at Bigfoot the night before it happened. This was September 3rd, 1973, near Whitney, outside of Lake Tropia, where there have been many reports right on the edge of the Chestnut Ridge. And that night, he and his um, neighbors were out there on the porch talking about Bigfoot, but in the news, they were making fun of it, and he was yelling, come on, Bigfoot, I want to see you. Well, little, little did he know that around, I believe it was around 4 o'clock that morning, he heard this big bang mm. uh, on his mobile home. And he mm -hmm. had a garage back there. He had a old uh, antique car. He thought somebody was breaking into the garage. He looks out the window, which goes right to the patio, and standing basically on the, a foot away from on the opposite side of the window, looking away from him towards the neighbor's home, is this mm -hmm. eight to nine foot tall huge creature. And poor Chester was a retired coal miner. He had emphysema. He could barely breathe after he saw it. He went over and woke his wife up and said, that thing they call Bigfoot, it's on our patio. She goes over, oh, my God, oh, my God. So they make their way over to the telephone, which was the good old days when he had an operator and a dial tone, and he dialed O for operator for emergency to connect him to the state police. And he said, that thing they call Bigfoot, it's here at my trailer. And within half an hour, they had six troopers there. The, the state police mm -hmm. called me scene to come out. And mm -hmm. um, there were tracks in the snow that he had just uh, mowed earlier and went across the porch. 
and went down over the uh, the road, but at a certain section there, it's just like the tracks just abruptly ended. And he mm-hmm. said to me, he said, where did the track go? Could these things fly? And I always remember him no. saying that. Yeah, can these things fly? That is something, you know, here's the thing is, even though this evidence exists from, and, and you're saying from the early 70s, it takes a while for it to sink in for the rest of us, you know, that this is a reality. <laughs> because it's very, I, I've often found it's very easy to hear accounts like this. And because it's so difficult for your brain to make sense of it, it's so strange. You can either forget about it. You can't fit it into the other categories you have of how these phenomena can. It takes a while for, for us to adapt to the reality of what this is. You know, I'll give you one example. I think this is a, from your from Silent Invasion. Didn't you mention a case there of a guy that saw a cat in his garage and every time he went back, it was big, bigger and bigger? No, actually, I mentioned that to you. That was not in that book. Actually, it's in oh, my... Oh, you just uh, mentioned it. Think, it's, you mentioned it. Astonishing yeah. Encounters book. Yeah, but anyhow, I okay. remember it well. So here, here's the interesting thing. You know, it, like I said, this is so complex. We could talk for hours about this and never even get yeah. started. But, for example, yeah. I, I've learned a long time ago that a, a witness can be at the right place at the right time to have a, an encounter with a cryptid or a UFO. But there are certain specific locations similar to what you call the Skinwalker Ranch. So I was dealing with yeah. Skinwalker-like activity in the 70s here. And yes. you didn't hear about these kind of things till many years later when you heard a lot about the Skinwalker Ranch. Now they're going on all over the country. But here in Pennsylvania, the, the phenomena seems to focus on certain particular properties for whatever reason. And some of these places have a long history of phenomena going on. So you're talking about paranormal phenomena, so ghostly apparitions, Bigfoot sightings, cryptids, out-of-place animals like Black Panther sightings, these small orbs of light, balls of light below the ground, which I think right now is really interesting, the cases are going on. Uh, UFO sightings, it goes on and on and on. And these places are amazing. I mean, there's one area right now that's for the last couple of years, again, it's in Fayette County, among others, that it's kind of new in the, the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. They call it the, the local area X. And uh, there's been some amazing incidents up there. And some of these researchers, are, Bigfoot researchers, are very experienced, and they know me well. And I told them years ago about the incidents with these spheres of light being commonly yeah. reported in areas of Bigfoot activity. And, again, it's not just in PA. It's around the country we're getting these reports, but a lot in PA. And uh, they were up in this area X where there had been a lot of Bigfoot activity, and they were investigating Bigfoot, but about a year mm-hmm. ago – and there was a, a, a pretty good group of researchers up there. And during that evening, a, a number of these small balls of light came out of the woods, came within feet of them. And I can mm-hmm. tell you, some of these people were very, very shaken. And now they yeah. know that such a thing exists. And um, so whatever's going on is going on more and more. And uh, if you ask me a question, I think I got off the uh, t- uh, trail and I forgot what you asked me. No, it was just uh, we were just talking about the strangeness of this. And I was just you had mentioned that case about the cat where the guy thought it was a lost cat. He goes back into the garage and it's grown and then he goes back in and it's like it becomes one of these black panther. I mean, he sees it in front of his eyes growing. It does. Yeah. So here's where I was going with this. So sometimes when you have an outbreak of Bigfoot activity in a certain area, you also get reports of other cryptids, including Uh sometimes you get an outbreak of Black Panther sightings. 
So the incident you're talking about was one of the cases that convinced me also that we're dealing with something that has a physical and a non-physical component to it. That's why we have no bodies. Um, Anyhow, I'll tell you the story. So this is February 1983, way up in the mountains of western Pennsylvania. It's February, it's cold, this uh, fellow comes home around 1 o'clock and his car's overheating. He pulls, it, he pulls his vehicle into the driveway, goes in and gets a can of antifreeze. He comes out, he's starting putting antifreeze in the car. While he's doing that, he hears this loud growl behind him, and he looks, and there's this large black house cat sitting there growling at him. Well, he didn't get too excited over it, because out there in the country, there's a lot of cats running around. So he goes back to putting more antifreeze in. A couple minutes later, he hears even a louder growl. And he turns around, and he's pretty shaken because that big house cat has now physically grown to twice its size. So he throws that antifreeze can at it, and the thing growls really loud at him, turns around, starts walking out the door, down the driveway outside where it's well lit. So he runs into his house to find his pistol, and when he comes back out a few minutes later, this big cat is outside, but now he can't really can't believe what he's seeing because that Big house cat has now doubled its size. Now he said it looks like an animal he saw in the zoo. It was the <laughs> size of what he called a black panther, which had been a black jaguar or a black mm. leopard. Long tail, glowing yellow eyes, growling mm. at him. He mm. takes a shot at it. He didn't know if he hit it, but moments later, it physically vanished in front of him. Vanishes. Yeah. And you had cases in Silent Invasion where people shot at the creatures on the porch and stuff, and it would Right, am I correct? Vanish, literally vanish in front of their eyes as they shot at it? Well, actually, it was a case in there that it's in a lot of more detail, of course, than we have time yeah. to go today. But I remember it very well. It was February 6, 1974. Mm. It was way up in the mountains of Fayette County where we get a lot of history of activity, including a, a Bigfoot sighting up there just this past Monday. And uh, anyhow, um, it was a time period some of your listeners will remember because it was a big national trucker strike. There was yep. gas rationing going on around the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was violence on the highway. So in Pennsylvania, the state police on National Guard were uh, doing patrols together. There were members of both the units that responded to this incident. I couldn't get gas the next morning to get up there. But anyhow, the short part of the story is the woman was in her little cabin home deep in the mountains watching TV as a normal night. She hears this commotion on her front porch. She had some empty soda cans out there, and someone was knocking the soda cans around. Well, two, three weeks before, she had a pack of wild dogs coming through, and she thought, I bet those dogs are back. So I'll just grab my 16-gauge double-barrel shotgun, and I'll just load a chamber of the gun and a fire over their head, and I'll scare the dogs away, which she proceeds to do. She loads one chamber with her uh, 16-gauge shotgun. She starts walking up to the front door. She walks to the front door, turns on the switch for the outside light. She steps out, but there's no dogs. But six feet in front of her is a seven-foot-tall, hair-covered Bigfoot that put his arm straight up over its head as soon as she turned on the light. And how does she react? She pulls the trigger and fires right into it. She said there's this bright flash of light, like the strobe on a camera, and it Mm. vanishes in front of her. But then her in-laws heard a gunshot 100 feet away, and they called her and asked Mm. what she's shooting at. She tried to explain to him, so the son-in-law grabs his sidearm and starts walking down that dark road, and apparently at some point he ran to what he described as four or five hairy people with eyes like coals of fire. And then mm. there's this large luminous object covering over the trees about the same time. Wow. That's when they, that's when they called the state police for help. 
And I talked to the primary investigator, and he said by the time they found the place, everything was over. But he said the witnesses were very credible. They were positively very frightened. They gave detailed accounts. But he said what convinced him was the animal reactions. They had different Mm -hmm. animals on the farm, but they had Mm -hmm. several big dogs. And when they arrived, the dogs wouldn't make a sound. They would not bark. They wouldn't move. Mm -hmm. That is very, very common with close Bigfoot sightings. And, in fact, sometimes with UFO reports, but a lot with Bigfoot sightings, uh, very commonly there's animal reactions. And even the most vicious dogs, commonly, when they're close to these creatures, they will not bark. They'll cower. They shake. They'll sometimes lay there and they'll move their eyes around. But that's very typical. Yeah, and there, there, there are cases where the animals even act strangely when the owners come home after a sighting, as if the, the animals can sense something that the owners encountered, uh, even when they're in their car. You know, there's a case like this in uh, northern Idaho that I'm familiar with. Uh, near where I went to school, where the woman said she saw one cross the road, it vanished. She, she just couldn't tell what happened to it. It should have been there. And then her cat's acting really strangely hides under the bed. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, another case was an cell invasion. Uh, again, there's a lot of areas we get reports, but this area out along the Chestnut Ridge mountain range, yes. especially here along Westmore and Fayette, Indiana County, but here in Westmore and around Dairy Township, for whatever reason, we have yeah. almost annual Bigfoot encounters up there, up along those ridges, many in daylight. And there was one case in there I mentioned during the 73 outbreak that a police officer had called me and he said, this man just came in, just contacted us. He seemed very, very shaken. He seemed mm-hmm. very honest. Like, why would the guy make the strip? And he said, he and his wife were taking a, a leisurely drive that afternoon in Dairy Township. I believe it was around Hillside, if I remember. And he said, we're riding down the road, and suddenly this huge, hairy creature runs out in front of us and onto the, front of the, road, in the middle of the road. He said, I hit my brakes, but I couldn't stop in time. I ran and right into it, and he said, upon impact, it physically vanished and was gone, and there was no damage to his vehicle. Wow. No damage to the vehicle. No. That is is really something. Uh, Did you, is this case in Silent Invasion, it's just coming to my mind. You mentioned invisibility about 20 minutes ago when we started the, uh, the interview. Wasn't there a case that you mentioned where parts of the Bigfoot were invisible? It was like banded, like the person could see part of it and then not part of it and then part of it. Is that is that one of your stories? Yeah, that, that happened up around Jamonville, which is a yeah. very historical area. Um, it's right on top of the, the area around it, up in Chestnut Ridge in Fayette County. It's an area that has a lot of history of Bigfoot sightings, but there's these big stone... Oh, how do I explain it? They're not monuments, but they're, anyhow, they're very large stone structures up there. And yeah. during that time was going on, a lot of people would visit up there, and they would see these Bigfoot creatures up around that area. And people would tell us that at times they would see a Bigfoot creature in daylight standing there by one of these large stone, uh, I'll call it a monument type thing. And mm-hmm. it, would physically, it would physically vanish and reappear a short distance away. But in some cases, they saw it running off, and they could see through certain parts of the body. They couldn't see the whole physical body. They could see through it at times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's it. Yeah. There are so many other cases like that. Other researchers report the same sort of thing, you know? It's absolutely baffling to them where they walk through fences, and they should have, there should have been, defense should have broke or something, or there should be, you know, 
traces of them and there's just uh they don't they walk through the wire <laughs> so um, oh, yeah there, yeah so much and and again you know just again with these small orbs of light they're very yeah. intriguing reports there's definitely a connection between it but it, it's much more complex than that and, and i think what i may have told you previously and anyhow you know, I've I've been aware of these small orbs of light cases, balls yeah. of light cases. I've called them mini UFOs for years. I knew about them back in the 1960s. Many mm-hmm. people didn't talk about them, but I've talked about them. I've written about them for years and years. Yeah. In more recent years, you're hearing more about these all across the country. Just like I said, you're hearing more about them in Bigfoot areas. But also, you're hearing many other cases that are not Bigfoot connected. So these mm-hmm. objects, they're generally spherical. But there's other configurations have been reported, which are odd, too. And yeah. um, what's really intriguing is they're not objects in the sky high. They're low to the ground, many at eye level, many very low yeah. to the ground, including incidents where they've been on the ground, even in daylight. Um, but what happened last year, we had the biggest surge of these cases ever documented all over the state yeah. of Pennsylvania, many in southwest mm-hmm. PA. Many of the cases were amazing. If you go to my website, stangordon.info, people can read about some of these. They've continued in recent weeks. Um, Just to give you an example of a couple of the reports, and and there's many. Uh, And by the way, I've had reports over these these things following moving vehicles. I've had them enter people's homes and cars through open windows. I've Mm -hmm. had them hover right in front of people's living room windows. Um, We've had them report them inside of people's homes. Mm-hmm. It's very complex, and again, it's all over the country. You hear these mm-hmm. kind of reports now coming in. People are talking about them more and more. But in October of last year, for example, yeah. um, this would have been, again, up in Fayette County, and you can find these reports on my website. So this was October 8th, so not that long ago. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. It's very cold outside. This fellow, that's around 40 degrees. The guy decides he's going to go out to get his newspaper. He's in his pajamas and slippers. And he starts walking towards the newspaper box, and it gets about 10. He sees this a small white sphere, about 10 to 12 inches in diameter, hovering right between him and, and the newspaper box. And he, and he told his wife that he got unusually tired all of a sudden when he was near this thing. And she found him sound asleep on the porch, which he would never do, in the chair um, in a freezing cold weather. And he said it's just because he couldn't stay awake because it got so tired being next to this ball of light. So yeah. here's what's really intriguing. So that was October the 8th. On October the 11th, three days later, up in the Laurel Ridge area, which uh, first you have the Chestnut Ridge, then not far away you begin going to the Laurel Ridge area, also very active with phenomena and all kind of stuff and cryptids. But anyhow, so this is October 11th. Inside of the home, this woman awakes at 2.30 in the morning to go to the restroom. She comes out of the bathroom. She lives in one of these old homes that have high ceilings. Five feet away in her living room, she sees this deep blue-colored sphere about a foot and a half in diameter. Inside of the sphere, she sees this gray-swirling mass moving around. She looked like an old uh, lava lamp. Mm-hmm. And she remembered taking one step towards it. She felt like a, a slight electrical a jolt, electrical tingling sensation. And then all of a sudden, she said she became so sleepy and tired, she immediately went to sleep. And she said the next day she was very sluggish and groggy for hours and hours, but she said, I'm an insomniac. I don't fall asleep. I shouldn't have been awake for hours. She had no explanation why that would happen. 
So here's this interesting physiological effect of two people who right. been close to these objects and describing the same thing. Now, that is really fascinating. The sleepy effect. You know, uh, I have to tell you, even amongst researchers of ball lightning, you know, just cut and dry scientists who study ball lightning, they cannot explain some aspects of them, how they interact with people. They seem to, you know, they seem to be aware, some of them, uh, of the people and interact in ways that make them seem sentient. And there's a real fine line, wouldn't you agree, in this crossover between some of these orbs that seem like mini UFOs and others that just seem like sort of ordinary ball lightning. It's it's really quite strange, I think we could uh, well, agree. And it, it's very interesting, and I, I'm pretty much, I'm, I've been involved with weather phenomena and weather type things for years and years as well. And I can tell you, the cases we're talking about here, which are numerous, we didn't have any bad weather conditions. I mean, yeah. Most of it was clear weather conditions, there was nothing like that occurring at the time. So I keep an open mind, but I think there's some differences between the two phenomena. Yeah, that now that's a whole big subject in itself. That is a fascinating uh, area. Yeah, because there, some of the researchers call it overlapping phenomenology. In other words, the ball lightning appears like UFOs, and you're familiar with, you know, Hestala in Norway and all of this. And it's really hard to tell the difference. And yet some of them you're saying are just clearly not in the ball lightning category. They're, they're moving around. They're doing things that make them more like UFOs than ball lightning. And as, as you're pointing out, there are some conditions that are favorable to ball lightning, you know, storms and things like that, even though it can appear really anywhere. But, but some of them really seem sentient, don't they? These little yeah. orbs. Do these seem like small UFOs to you? like just smaller versions of larger craft in, in the way that they're interacting with people? Okay, so here's the many other reports. These objects about the size of a golf ball or baseball, but many about a yeah. foot or two in diameter. That's pretty yeah. consistent with many of the reports. Sometimes they look like solid spheres of luminous different colors. Sometimes yeah. they're transparent. I have other cases where these things have come with very close people, and they appear to be solid and metallic-looking instead. Yes. And then there have been instances where these things have been on the ground. And if you go to my website, you can see an amazing sketch from one of the articles I wrote about one of these things that was from northern Pennsylvania last year where the thing was landed on the driveway. And it was more than just a sphere. There was some very strange appendages connected to it. Uh, right. But here's another, here's another right. example from November 2019. Uh, up, in, up in the... Uh, wooded area of uh, southwest PA, during the afternoon, the guy's driving down the road, and he, he's at the top of the hill, and as he's riding towards his house, he has to stop because here on the road is this ball about two feet in diameter that was on the road and blocking him from getting to his house. So he's looking at this thing and trying to figure out what the heck this thing was, but he realized, well, i got to go out and move this thing or I can't get home. As soon as he opens up his car door and starts walking towards it, he begins to fade away and vanishes, and it's gone. Hmm. That is, and it has a lot of parallels to these cryptids, which can seemingly disappear at will. That, exactly. Or, and also, yeah, go yes. ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying it seems like when people interact with some of these cryptids, they almost like affect the energy field and they like pop like a bubble. That's the feeling I get from some of your descriptions. But, uh, 
there's a whole variety of ways they disagree. But go ahead. What were, what were you going to say? Well, one thing here. Here's the pattern I found many years ago, and it's ongoing. Many close-range, low-level UFO sightings. So we're not talking just light sources. We're talking large, solid objects. Many cases of them low-level, and also many instances of, of encounters with Bigfoot and other cryptids often occur in the vicinity of high-energy sources. So you have many encounters around uh, high-tension power lines, power yeah. plants, bodies of water, radio towers, cell phone towers, uh, gas lines, gas wells. Uh, mm -hmm. It goes on and on and on. I have no doubt that there's an energy connection to whatever we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, that's a very interesting angle on it. Nuclear, power plants, so forth, yes. Uh, right, that, that connection to atomic power plants, I mean, that is, it's in many, it's not just in the United States. I mean, I've heard cases of it coming from Canada and other places where they see these Bigfoot Sasquatch creatures around the plants. And I remember you mentioned there's cases like that in Pennsylvania, too. Oh, many. And it's not just nuclear plants. It's, it's all kinds of coal-firing power plants, but it's, coal. it's energy sources. And, and there's also what... Go ahead. Go ahead. We keep running. We keep uh, running over each other with the signal. No, no, no. So I, it's a very important point. What you're saying, it's 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 any energy source. They seem to be connected to it in some way. Yeah. Go ahead. And also, a lot of the UFO reports, uh, and even some of the things you're hearing, some of the um, the military talk about in the last couple of years. Some of these objects, and we're getting a lot of reports, by the way, of cigar-shaped objects, um, mm -hmm. cylindrical objects. You know, they, they seem to like to call them Tic Tacs now, but they, we've had reports of these for years and years. But I've had reports of these large, solid objects, even in daylight, that slowly begin to fade away and just, they're gone. But mm -hmm. also, many reports in the last, uh, uh, many more reports in daylight, again, of, of large, solid-looking, cigar-shaped objects that, People are telling me they're watching them in a beautiful sky, just hovering there, and they just almost instantly just vanish, and, and they disappear, and they don't see them anymore. In other cases, they're moving so slow across the sky, they're moving much slower than an aircraft. So that's been very, very common, even in, in recent weeks. And yeah. a lot of reports of large triangular objects being reported. We had one incident in July of last year down on the Mon Valley outside of Pittsburgh. So it's near the Monongahela River, which that area is just full of stories of everything from uh, from Thunderbird sightings, uh, UFO sightings, uh, Bigfoot encounters, uh, weird creatures and things and objects seen over the river and, and things in the river, all kind of stuff down there. But um, there's been a lot of phenomena down there. But this case in July, two people were crossing Elizabeth Bridge. They see this huge, solid-looking black triangle hovering about 150, 200 feet above the water. It's hovering, but it's pivoting, and it's so wide, it's taking up both sides of the river. Wow, both sides of the river. Yeah, they said this thing was easily 300 feet long. And what was the shape of it? A big black triangle. Oh, big black triangle. There are the triangles again. Yeah. Wow, you know, it's almost like there's a whole nother reality next to us, and it just pops in, and then it's gone again. <laughs> and, and you think, where, you know, it's so... We have these scientific methods that are hundreds of years old that demand some sort of repeatability. And that's really the challenge with this is you, as a researcher, has been involved. You've seen some of the same patterns over and over again. Uh, oh, yeah. And 
the witnesses, when you talk to them, they know what they've seen. And yet it's, it can seemingly disappear for a while. It's like it's there, but you can't see it or interact with it. And, and it, for a lot of people, they just wonder, you know, where, where is it? And then it pops in like this. And some of these craft are so huge. Uh, they can be as small as you're pointing out these mini, these mini orbs, and then they can be vast. It's uh, really mind boggling. What were some of the other accounts that you wanted to mention? You, you are always involved with this recent accounts um, that you said you've uh, been doing some research on. Well, there's, <laughs> there, there are so many, a lot of the Bigfoot reports are very interesting. Uh, just a few off the top of my head. Um, let's see. This would have been November last year up on the Chestnut Ridge. Uh, this between Indiana and Westmoreland County. It was early morning. The sun was just coming up. A woman's coming out of her property deep in the woods. She catches something out of the corner of her eye, and she looks, and here's this eight-foot-tall Bigfoot carrying a deer over its shoulder. Mm. It stops. They have, make eye contact. When it mm. sees her, it allows out a loud grunt, and it just turns to us walking off through the... Uh, Field into the woods and gone. Mm-hmm. So a lot of reports we're getting are, are daylight reports, um, and there've been recent reports again of smaller ones. And then the one was just a few days ago. Um, I'll be posting a more detailed report of it on the website. But anyhow, uh, one of my research associates, Jim Brown, who's investigated a lot of incidents up in Fayette County, he went over to the scene to interview and look over the property the next day after he got the report, and. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I the briefly what I know is that the guy that evening was in his home was getting ready to go to sleep when something was disturbing the cattle on the on the property, and he looked out and he figured, well, I bet you maybe there's a coyote out there. So he grabs his uh, rifle and he starts walking outside, and there's no coyote, but he mm-hmm. sees in the middle of the muddy area where the cattle are that here's this eight foot tall, huge, hairy man like creature standing there with very long arms. And mm-hmm. there's more detail, but that's all I know. It, he yelled at it and the thing took off. And uh, the the animals are pretty shaken. And after the thing left, they said all the, the animals' uh, behavior settled down. But there's a little more to it, and I'm waiting for more detail. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this about the Bigfoot. And I'm sure a lot of people wonder this. I wonder it myself. In some of these cases, you hear this from hunters and other people. They see the Bigfoot carrying a deer over their shoulder, chasing deer. You know, very proficient hunters can, you know, snap their necks very quickly, all types of animals. It makes them seem very physical and very, you know, like very evolved people, animals, wh- whatever they actually are. And, and we also have the cases that you've described so well of where they just vanish in front of your vehicle, uh, you know, just disappear. Do you think this is the same creature or type of human and it's capable? I mean, it's a very proficient hunter and it's very good at interdimensional skills or is it two separate species? Well, you know, no, I don't think anybody has the answers to certain things we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, I question, you know, there have been Bigfoot sightings all over the country and around the world for how many years? Thousands of reports, and yet yes. nobody's come up with a body that we can confirm. No. Uh, there's just so many aspects of this that is so bizarre. I mean, some of it I'm even reluctant to even talk about, but I know that other researchers around the country and around the world are finding and hearing the same things as I am. Some of this stuff is just so 
incredible. I mean, you hear reports of balls of light changing into creatures, and creatures yeah. changing into yeah. other creatures. You've heard yeah. these reports too, okay? Yeah. And and I during that wave of '73, you know, as I mentioned, solid invasion. That uh, you have a lot of your so-called typical Bigfoot sightings, something what six to nine foot tall, sometimes very muscular. But then you had other reports of creatures that were taller and thinner, and some were smaller and more muscular, you right. know, uh, more muscularly built. And then of course we have the smaller reports too, which are not that common, but they've become more interesting and more reports in in more recent uh, months or so. We get more reports of smaller ones too. But yes. uh, anyhow. And then you had the Dogman reports, okay? Yep. And, and again, some of the cases from 73 where people were literally within a few feet of these creatures looking face-to-face at them, those descriptions were more like what we call a Dogman today because the face looked more like a dog or a wolf. And they talked about the glowing eyes and the fang-like teeth. Yep. And now, see, here, here's an interesting variation, and the story's in uh, Silent Invasion, too. So anyhow, here, and this just shows that even the bigger strangers have a phenomenon, that here's a person, she's visiting friends out out here in Westmoreland County, out in the country where there, there have been a lot of Bigfoot sightings going on for months. It's, it's a very low foundation to the ground. Around 3 o'clock in the morning, she needs to go to the restroom. So she's sitting there directly in front of the screen window. She's hearing these strange animal vocalizations outside, and suddenly... This thing rises up from the ground, and she's looking directly in its face from behind its screen. It's behind the screen, looking directly at her, right into her face, face to face. Mm-hmm. She describes the fang-like teeth, the glowing eyes, you know, the face and the hair, and how it looks more like again something like more like a a wolf or a dog. Uh, she was hysterical. She ran mm-hmm. out there screaming. Um, they called the state police. The state police phone patched her to, uh, for me to talk to her. They sent a trooper out. They found some three-toed footprints out there. Mm-hmm. So here's the even more interesting. So she's so frightened, she wanted those people to take her to her home several miles away. Within the hour, the same or a similar creature showed up at her house. And that's not mm-hmm. the only. that's not the only case I have like that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, shows up at the house later. <laughs> And this has happened to people that have traveled, they said, on the highway for quite some distance, and it still shows up at their house. So, uh, and, and, and I was going to say, it's not just with Bigfoot. I have no. other cryptid cases and things like this where similar things have happened. There's other patterns to it. It is so complex. It is so unusual. Yeah. Yeah, we, we don't even know where to begin to talk about it. There's so many cases. I, I, I noticed this, and I knew this back in... Actually, 1972, I began to notice these patterns and the weird stuff. And I was like, what is going on here? And how do you try to present this to researchers and the public? Yeah. And now, and I tried to do it, and I did do it to the extent that, you know, people, I, were, I was in touch with many of the well-known names in the Bigfoot field in the 70s and many witnesses, and I started writing about it. And now, years later, now we're hearing more and more about similar cases going on all over the place. Yeah. Now you mentioned the big black cats before, and I just passed by Mount Rainier about an hour or two ago because I'm on my way to the Forks Bigfoot Festival. And I have to buy the, 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 you know, my route took me right next to Mount Rainier. I was talking to someone who lives in the area 
uh, about a week or two ago, and they said they have something out there they call ape cats. I said, "What? What's that? Ape cats? Is that type of big? Another type of bigfoot?" He goes, "No, no, it's a huge cat. It's a huge black cat." So these black cats, big black cats, panthers, whatever they are, they are throughout the United States, North America. Yeah, I mean we're we're here. This is not something new. It's been going on for years. And people all across the country reporting seeing what they would call black panthers in areas mm-hmm. where they aren't known to exist. Right. And, uh, you know, we don't hear about these things in Africa or Asia, not around here. Not here in yep. Pennsylvania, not in the East Coast and other areas. And once again, there's a patterns to it. That mm-hmm. sometimes when you have an outbreak of one cryptid, you get another outbreak. Or you just get reports of, of the separate cryptids being seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just... It, it, it's, it's so fascinating, and you can't eliminate because so many of these witnesses are so credible. They have no reason to make the story up. They're very no. detailed reports, and they don't even know about the other reports coming in. Yeah, they don't know about that. This is what this is the issue we're facing is people don't know that other people have experienced it because we don't talk about this very much in the U.S. in in the open. People generally don't share these types of stories. Uh, it, it. it took me some cases, decades, people I knew who had taken my remote viewing classes for them even to tell me their stories because they were still, they were still shocked by their stories. They almost didn't want to talk about it until, you know, I said, we have to talk about it, you know. Uh, it's very hard to share it because people are afraid of other, how, you know, neighbors and friends are going to react. Um, and, and that's exactly what I deal with all the time. That's why you see yeah. I don't use people's names without permission. Yeah. I hardly ever use any witness names. And uh, it's amazing that sometimes, either weeks or months or years later, other people, without knowing it, will confirm some of those reports where they have good data that can right. support the dates and locations and, and confirm other people's accounts. But, you know, I, I've, I've been doing lectures for years and years. I've done a lot of them over the last year already. And everywhere I go, people come up to me and share with me incidents they've had or friends had or neighbors had, and none of these cases have ever been reported. And I'm in touch with many other researchers in the state who are all getting reports. I get many reports. We cannot imagine how much of this is going on and how much we don't hear about. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, so this is the question. What would you say just generally the percentage would be of people who've told you their encounter stories who've never haven't shared it with any other researchers or anyone else? Would you say it's a lot? You're the oh, yeah. only person told it about. It's it's a very very high percentage. Very high percentage. Very high percentage. Yeah, it's just amazing, and, and people are just amazed. I mean, just the stories I've heard in the last couple of months from places I've been lecturing at, and some of the stories. Now, a lot of people, some people will share an account there because they're not right from the area. But a lot of people call me confidentially afterwards to discuss it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, if you can see the reaction, the emotional reaction of some of these witnesses. I mean, before the pandemic hit, and I was doing a lot of out there interviews, and I was doing some outdoor shows and things like that, where a lot of hunters were there, and they were coming up to me, sharing with me. And I remember I'm, I must have met with two or three very experienced hunters for years during that time. And I remember sitting there with one or two of those guys, and they had tears coming out of their eyes because they said, yeah. we love the woods, it's our life, and after what we saw and experienced, we'll never go back in the woods again. Right. Yeah, I can to- I can totally understand it. You know, I remember a case from the Bailey Sasquatch outpost. You you might have heard of it or familiar with it. 
that Jim Myers told us uh, that these hunters, this was, these were hunters from Pennsylvania, from your state, who said they heard something coming at them in the forest. It sounded like a bulldozer. This is all very familiar to anyone who's familiar with these stories. Sounds like a bulldozer coming at you in the forest. They're all armed and they have these, you know, flashlights and lasers uh, on their weapons. And at one point they raised their weapons up just to see what they're looking at. And all they see is a blue mist. That's all it's there is blue mist. (laughs) And they said they'd never shared it with them. They'd never told anyone before because it just sounds so strange. And and I hear that very often. You do. Sometimes both UAPs and cryptids and Bigfoot look more misty or they're surrounded like a mist or a fog. That's very, I hear that fairly often. Very common mist and fog. Yeah. Well, uh, Stan, I would like to talk to you again another time because I ordered your creepy cryptids. And as I mentioned to you, it was stolen from my porch and I, I didn't get a chance to read it. I wanted to read it in time for this interview. And I had to leave on this trip to go to this festival. Uh, they're screening a movie, a new Bigfoot movie, and they interviewed me for a little bit, and they, they wanted me to be there just to you know, help talk about it and stuff. Uh, Flash of Beauty Part 2. And I didn't get a chance to read Creepy Cryptids because so- someone's going to learn a lot about cryptids because they, t- they took it right off the door. You know how Amazon photographs some now in your door with the package? It was there, yeah. and I went back, and it was gone, and none of my neighbors said we didn't hear anything, we didn't see anything. So, oh, my. Yeah, so anyway. Uh, I was going to say, for your listeners in this part of the country, in the Ohio area, next week I'm speaking at the Big Monster Fest in Canton, Ohio. It's running, okay. It's June 3rd is the main day. I'll be talking about all these type of things and the strange aspects of the Bigfoot phenomena, and many well-known researchers uh, from around the country, and others will be there as well, like Lauren Coleman and... Uh, Okay. Uh, Cliff from Finding Bigfoot, Lyle Blackburn, yeah. a lot of them will be there. So it's going to be a very good event. Are you guys going to have a panel discussion or anything like that where you can share? I know Lauren Coleman has his ideas. I mean, he's the one who sort of introduced me to the topic in the 90s. Do you guys actually have a discussion back and forth in front of the audience? That is going to be, I understand, Friday night with the uh, viewing of, of a new uh, film that Seth Breedlove is doing with Small Town Monsters. So okay. I am going to be on the panel. That's Friday okay. evening. So what? What is the? What can you just say for, for our audience? And I'll attempt to get. I'm going to get this up before then. What? What is it again? In Canton, Ohio. Yeah, it's, what's What's the name of the conference or festival? You know what? If you go to my website, StanGordon.info, look on our upcoming okay. events. It's on there. But okay, it's Small okay. Town Monsters, and it's called the Monster Fest. It's in Monster Canton, Fest. Ohio. So yes. it's June 3rd is the main event, but I believe uh, June 2nd is the panel discussion that evening. Great, great. Okay, Stan, I wish we could continue for another hour, but I'm actually I'm on the road at the moment, and it's not the best position for me to stay for more time at the location I'm at by the side of the road. All right, well, but, but if I your listeners pick- want- Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry, we keep uh, going over top of each other. Um, if the listeners want to check the, for some reports and information, it's my website is uh, stangordon.info, yes. and my contact information on there, and my books are all available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Right, so stangordon.info. Correct. You sent me that link, and there's so many great cases on there, and you have links to other sites, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Group and so forth. 
if anyone wants to see the latest cases, this is the, the great place to go. There's even a picture of that case, uh, Stan, where you mentioned that weird luminosity on someone's driveway that had the most interesting shape to it. Uh, and people can see that on your site. Yeah. Uh, yes. And Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. Great. Uh, so, well, anyway, Stan, thanks so much for coming on again. And, you know, the way you, your perspective on this and your entire experience, it just shows us there is a connection between these phenomena. It's not like anyone understands it, uh, but we just have the slightest clues, but it's so fascinating that where you have some of these cryptids, you have others, then you get UFOs uh, instead of these being separate topics. So uh, thanks for, again, reinforcing that point today. And thanks so much uh, for having me on. It was an uh, uh, interesting interview. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. Thanks again, Stan. We'll talk again soon, okay? All right. Good evening. Okay. Yeah, take care. Yep. Bye-bye.